So we're going to continue this week in our, uh, our, our message or our sermon series on prayer. Uh, this is week two of Teach Us to Pray. We're going to be again in Luke 11. That's kind of our main scripture that we're going to be using throughout the next couple of weeks as we kind of discuss about prayer. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we missed you, but kind of give you a little recap. We began kind of talking about prayer. We kind of started with the idea of fatherhood, the fact that Jesus began this prayer as he teaches us to pray with the idea of starting with Father and how strange that was to his hearers at the time and how important that is to us today. So basically, we're going to start in Luke 11. We're going to look at this. We're going to start, and we're not going to read all of it. I know it's going to be up on the screen, um, but we're going to stop about verse number 5. But kind of give you some background what's happening here. Jesus is with his disciples. His disciples are watching Jesus pray. They're praying together, and his disciples realize something. Jesus prays differently than I do. There's a difference here. They look and they say, what my prayer life looks like and what his prayer life looks like is different. Now, that's a great, great thing to understand. But the disciples did something that was even better, okay? It's easy for us to look at our prayer life or look at lots of areas in our life and go, wow, my life doesn't look like how Jesus lived his life. That's an easy thing to figure out because he was perfect and we're not. But they took the extra step of basically saying, because your life looks different than mine, what do I need to do to fix that? Okay? A lot of times in our lives, unfortunately, we are quite aware of the fact that we are not living like Jesus would have us to live. And that's where we leave it. And then we miss the growth that God wants us to experience in that. And so they ask him, teach us to pray. And that's basically where we're at in verse number one of chapter 11. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and he finished. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. After that, he begins to kind of go into a parable where he teaches about prayer and he teaches about uh, this understanding and using a story to do that. We'll talk about that next week. But this week, what I want to focus in on is kind of what we look at as the Lord's Prayer. I want to look at each section. I want to kind of dive into it a little bit because kind of be honest with you, most of the time we know this. If you go up to most Christians, you say, what's the Lord's Prayer? They're going to basically be able to regurgitate something around like this. They may not know every little word, but they kind of know the idea. But what is Jesus really saying here? And more than that, I believe, what is Jesus saying to us as a family and as a congregation today? You may go and you may hear another pastor or look at another commentary and go, oh, well, I I think that Jesus is saying this. And that's great, fine and dandy. What I feel God has given us or me is something to share to us as a family. Something special. Now, it may be the same, but I feel like that's the situation this morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go look through each of these together. We're going to see what is Jesus really trying to communicate here to us? Because I think that's important. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Jesus, I can't do this by myself. I don't want to do this by myself. Father, I want us to have a moment with you where you speak, where your words are are what's on display. Father, as we learn about prayer, as we learn about what it is to communicate to you, this is big. 
Father, just because it seems elementary, just because it seems, well, I know how to pray, doesn't necessarily mean that we can't learn something. Father, show us something that you would desire for each of us to catch. Let your spirit be moving in our individual hearts so that when we walk out of this place, something in us has been changed, not by man's words, but by the Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to do something a little different because I'm going to be a little more possibly a little more attached to my notes than usual. And I got this table here and I'm just going to use that. And we're going to find out how my eyesight is. So (laughs) I I got, I got my eyes checked before I I came here. So according to the doctor who would really like to sell me a new pair of glasses, I'm sure um, I'm good. So, you know, so I, I do wear glasses, by the way. Um, I just want to let that out now. I do have I contacts 95% of the time. But there will be a Sunday eventually that I wear glasses, and I just want everybody to be aware of that so they're not thinking, um, you know, something strange. So I had that happen once. We'll, we'll move on. Okay, we're going to start here with the first thing. First thing that Jesus talks about is this idea of Father, hallowed be your name. It's in verse 2. As basically he begins this prayer. Obviously we talked about Father. We talked about that last week. But um, we're going to talk kind of what I feel like Jesus is really communicating to us this morning. And that's this. Let your name be glorified by my life. Let your name be glorified by my life. A lot of times we'll do this. Let's be honest. We'll say, God, I want your name to be glorified and use Linda to do it. God, I want your name to be glorified and use the missionary to do it. God, you'd be glorified and use the pastor to do it. God here wants you to be a part of glorifying his name in your life. Not just merely by your words, but by your actions. What you do will bring glory to his name. When you are praying this, when you are communicating this, Father, hallowed be your name. What you're basically saying is, God, I want to be a part of glorifying your name in the world I live in. It is a declaration of action. It is not a declaration of simply words. It is a declaration of, Father, I want to be used by you to bring glory to you. I want to be used by you to make your name famous in the world I live in. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. You're doing that regardless. Whether you realize it or not, you are bringing glory to something or someone at all times. I've often said this, you are worshiping at all times. The question becomes this, what are you worshiping or who are you worshiping? Sometimes you're worshiping God. Sometimes you're worshiping yourself. Sometimes you're worshiping others. You are normally constantly worshiping. Why? Because you were created to. You were created to. God did not form you from the dirt and basically just say, there you go. He formed you a certain way. We are all different, but in some ways we are all the same. And God has formed us and made us to be worshipers. The question becomes, what are you worshiping? You are going to glorify things. The questions are, what are you going to glorify? You look around. We're really, listen, listen, as a culture, we are amazing glorifiers. We just glorify the wrong stuff, okay? Let me give you an example. 
Okay? I don't know where Denver is playing today. I know they're playing the Eagles. Are they playing here or are they playing in Philadelphia? Philadelphia. Guess what you're going to see? You are going to turn on the television. You're going to go home, whether you've taped the game or whatever, and you are going to see 70,000 people glorifying something. Okay? Now, I'm a football fan. I like sports. I'm not saying that's bad, but they're glorifying something. We're great at this. You turn on the television. You go on the internet. We see these, these movie stars. We, we glorify them. We try to dress like them. We want to know how, you know, what, what, what they're into and what, you know, all these silly things. You, you go into the, the grocery store and you walk by all the, the candy and you see the magazines. We are great glorifiers. Our lives do that really, really well. The question that we have to understand is what are we glorifying? Are we glorifying what is honorable and what is deserving of praise? Or are we glorifying basically somebody that just kind of happens to be famous? Or a sports team? Again, this isn't about stop playing sports! Stop watching them! It's priorities. It's understanding what matters the most. And it's understanding that our lives individually matter in glorifying Jesus, in bringing Him glory. I want to make sure that when I am in a moment where I am basically have an opportunity to show someone who Jesus really is, that I do a good job. That I bring glory to His name. Not to my name, not to Broomfield's name, Jesus' name. Okay? It's not about making a church famous. It's about making Jesus famous. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand that when we pray that, we are literally asking God, use my life to bring that about. What I love about Jesus, what I love about God, is that they are personal gods. And we like that sometimes. And other times it's harder. Because then the responsibility lays at our feet. What are you going to do with what God has given you? very important how we are glorifying God what our lives are looking like the next one he brings up your kingdom come again in verse number two very simply your will be done not mine your will be done not mine okay now what what's easy for us to pray let's be honest what's easy for us to pray is Jesus your will be done Okay? It's extremely difficult to then continue that prayer and say, and mine can go into the garbage. Okay? Because here's the honest truth. Let's, let's kind of go, we, we, you're going to get used to me. We're just going to be real, okay? We're just going to be real with each other, and I'll be real with you, and you'll be real with me, and there's just a lot of realness going on, and it'll be very, very cool, and you'll get used to it, and if you don't, um, you, you'll get used to it, okay? I don't like that prayer. You know why? Because I got this crazy idea. Now, I know, okay, listen, I know that I'm the only one that's like this, okay? So this is for me. The rest of you can just take a break right now because I know that you all are so good and so following Jesus that you are constantly like, Jesus, your will be done, and my will, no, 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 no. But see, I got this crazy idea that I actually know better than God. Okay, that was not necessary, but thank you. (laughs) 
And you know what? It's, it's, it's funny. We, we do laugh. Because when we say it out loud, it's so silly. It's so... I mean, think about that. Listen, say it out loud. Think of, think, think of it. I know better than God. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 seconds. God knows everything and has and will continue to do so. Not just in my life, but in every human being that will ever live. Or that has ever lived. God that spoke and stuff got made. That God. The God that is all-powerful, all-knowing. The God who literally says, the earth is my footstool. I know better than him. Really? Really? You see, the thing is, what we have to understand is God's will is better than your will. What you think is, God thinks, and it's better than that. See, we, it, it, this is not just an idea that we think we know better than God. It's that we really honestly do not trust Him. Okay? That's it. We're going to be real. We don't trust Him. We think that we know better. We think that our way is better than His way. So we don't trust the way we should. We don't allow Him to prove that He knows best. Now, some of you have children. Some of you had, had small children. Some of you are, are watching grandchildren. It's amazing. It's awesome. Great, great, great. But let's be honest. You are not going to be a good parent or grandparent if you look at your three-year-old and think this, they're smarter than me. They know more than I do. That's not a good parent. That's not a good grandparent. You have to understand that as the adult, you have more knowledge than they do. Times that times a million and you got God and us. One thing that is really cool about kids until they are horribly disfigured by adulthood, and I mean that, is they have this trust that is unbelievable. If I look at my son and I say, Daddy is going to do that, you know what he believes? Daddy is going to do that. If I say, no, Easton, that's not what's best for you. He says, okay, why? Because Daddy knows what's best. Why does he feel that? Because he knows his dad loves him. Okay, this may be a little off topic, it may not be, but do me a favor, in the next month or so, because you're going to be gathering with family for Thanksgiving and Christmas, would you, would you make me a promise? And I know some, I say that and somebody are like, I'm not going to promise until you tell me what it is, so I get that. Will you spend like 10 or 15 minutes with a child and learn from them? Please? See how they respond to people? See how they respond to the, the wonder of Christmas and the joy of that time? And then do me a favor, do everything you can to, to act like that. Not child-ish, child-like. Okay, there's a big difference. Not child-ish, but child-like. Because we can learn something from them and how they trust and how they live. So it's not our will. It's not our desires. It's not those things that we're focusing in on. We're focusing in on the fact that we want God's kingdom to come because he knows best. He knows what needs to happen 
and we trust him. We trust him. Next, number three, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Basically what this is saying is this, give us just enough, not too much, and not too little. Give us just enough, not too much, and not too little. In, in, in Proverbs, there's a verse that kind of goes along with this, and I want to read it to you. It's found in Proverbs chapter 30, and it's uh, basically 7 through 9. It's up there on the screen. It says, Father, hallowed... Wait, is it up there? Not there yet. There, there we go. One more. That's okay. You're good. Yeah. No, a little farther. We're on three. No, that's two. You're okay. Okay, you're okay. There we go. Perfect. That's okay. No worries. So chapter on, on number three, here it is. It says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Uh, two, uh, two things I ask of you. Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me just enough, but not too much. Kind of, kind of flies in the face of kind of how we live our lives, isn't it? We, we don't necessarily say just enough. We say, God, give me all that you give me, 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 give me. The problem with that is when we get so much... Sometimes we're not ready to handle it. And if we don't have enough, we kind of begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt where he is. And so what Jesus here is praying and what he wants us to understand is that concept that God is going to give us just exactly what we need, no more and no less. I like the story where, where, where the, the children of Israel are out in the, uh, the desert and, and they're hungry and, and God provides manna, okay? Manna. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I always thought, what is manna? You know, and they say, oh, it's kind of, this has got like honey on it. And, and I was convinced that manna probably was not that good. Just because I'm not a big honey guy, you know. But they would get manna and God would make the manna appear. And basically what would happen is they would go out and they would gather enough for the day. Okay. They would gather just enough for the day. They would take it back. They would eat it. And then the next day they would get up and they would go. The Bible says if they would gather too much, it would get worms and it would rot and it would be gross. Why did God do that? Why didn't God just say, hey, go, go gather you about 10 pounds of the stuff? Well, basically this kind of idea. Why didn't God basically do manna like Costco? I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. Why didn't God give you, you know, it's like you can go get, you know, eight rolls of toilet paper or you can go to Costco and get 400,000, you know, that's what you need. You know, that's the situation here. And that's what God basically does. He says, he says, just get enough. On the weekends, he basically says, get enough for two days. Why? God understands something about human nature. And that is when we have enough, we tend to do something. We forget God. I want you to be honest with yourself. Think about this. When things are going really, 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 really well, how's your prayer life? When things are going really, really, really bad, how's your prayer life? I, I, I dealt with teenagers for 15 years. I would ask them this question. Right before a test, how's your prayer life? How's it in the summer? Usually not as good, you know. 
we, we, we tend to work that way. We tend to have a situation when we're in abundance, we tend to not trust or need God as much. And when we're in need, we are right there at God's feet. And God understands that about us. And so when Jesus says this prayer, he's basically saying, God, give us our daily bread, what we need for today. Tomorrow, we'll need you again. And the next day, we'll need you then. And so this is an interesting concept that quite honestly kind of flies in the face of a lot of popular theology today. But we see this in Jesus. We see this concept in other places of Scripture where we focus in on today. We focus in on what God has for us in this moment, our daily bread. The next thing, verse number four, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins, which basically means this. God, you are right. I am wrong and I need you. God, you are right. I am wrong and I need you. You know what's interesting about this? Because Jesus prays this prayer and he makes, well, I guess, I guess Jesus would never have made an assumption in his life because he knows everything. But it's kind of what he's doing here. You know what he's assuming? He's assuming you need forgiveness. He's assuming that you have messed up. And at no point in this prayer, and in no point in his life, does he ever say, because of that sin, you are disqualified. He is quite aware of every mess up. He is quite aware of everything that has happened and everything that will happen. He already knows. He already knows that. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to kind of crawl into God's presence and kind of, oh, I'm just this disgusting, horrible, terrible person. You know what is amazing about God? God already knows that. He already knows that you've messed up. He already knows that you've, you've, you've done things that you're not proud of. But in this concept, we have to understand that God is right. We are wrong and we need Him. Not like kind of, sort of. Not like, okay, we desperately need Him. Without Him, we have nothing. Without Him, we are, in some ways, nothing. We're dirt again. And there's something to understand. There's something to realize that as we pray for that forgiveness, we are basically humbling ourselves to the fact that we are admitting that we have done things that have not measured up to the standard that God has set for His people. Is that easy? I don't know if it is for you. It's not for me. I don't like to be wrong. I don't like to have those moments. It's not necessarily easy for me sometimes to go to God and say, God, I really messed up. God, I really did the wrong thing here. But asking for forgiveness is a humbling thing. It's acknowledging not just your fault, but it's acknowledging your need for forgiveness. That's big. That's important. And so Jesus here already knows that you're going to mess up. 
Okay? He already knows the things. Now listen, now maybe, maybe no one here is like this, but I got a feeling just that there's one person here at least, maybe more than that, that there's this thing. And it maybe happened today, it may have happened yesterday, it may have happened 30 years ago. And you can just not let go of it. It's something that you've done. It's something that you, you have allowed to control your life. It is something that, quite honestly, you need freedom from. Okay? I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus prayed this prayer a long time ago. And when he prayed it, he was thinking of your mess up. And it can be forgiven. And there can be freedom from that. Do not buy into the lie that says, no, that's just too big. No, you hurt too many people. One of the most amazing things about the forgiveness of Jesus is it is for everyone and it is for everything. Everyone and everything. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you will ever do where God will look at you and say, I'm sorry, that's just... I just can't handle that one. And a lot of people, they live, our, they live their lives in bondage because they bought into that lie. Jesus already knew that you were going to need His forgiveness. So go to Him and let Him heal that part of your heart that He desperately wants to. Number five. This kind of is a continuation, of course, of verse number four. It says, For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Basically, this is the concept. As we receive grace, uh, as we receive grace, it helps us to extend grace to others. Okay? As we get forgiven, as we get healed, as we grow in God, then it is easier than for us to extend that to others. You know what the most despicable thing is in Christians' lives? Unforgiveness. Amongst many things. And, and, and when I say Christians, usually here's, how, here, here's the code word for that. You ready for the code word? When I say Christians, it's usually I'm pointing at me. Okay? Does everybody get that? Me. Unforgiveness. Now, why? Because we've been forgiven for so much. Remember the story that Jesus tells where he has the, the servant and he's telling this story about the servant who basically owes the master, um, you know, a, a lot of money. And he goes and he throws himself at the feet of the master and he says, please, you know, uh, uh, forgive me, please help me. And the master forgives the great debt. Remember the story? And so he goes out and he's been forgiven this huge debt. And the first person he sees is basically a, a fellow servant who owes him a couple of bucks. And he, the Bible says he literally grabs the servant, demands the money, and then throws him into prison because he can't pay. Do I really need to explain that? We have been forgiven so much. And one of the reasons amongst many is so that we can go to people in our lives and extend that same grace. Because here's what I found about forgiveness. It is not a natural human trait. A natural human trait is, I want you to suffer. I want you to hurt. You hurt me, and I want you to hurt. And oh, by the way, I'm going to get even. 
And what you do to me will be nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you. That is natural. That is the flesh. The, the, the Spirit says, it doesn't matter what you've done to me. I forgive you because of what Jesus has done for me. Is that easy? Absolutely not. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's so important. It's so important. Sometimes that's a process. Sometimes that, that takes time. Sometimes in my own life, when it comes to forgiveness, it, it's, it's, it's like, it, it's a journey that God takes me on. But I know this, if I don't get to that place, then it's not going to affect the person that hurt me. It's going to destroy me instead. See, that's what's so, that's what's so weird about forgiveness or lack thereof. We think we're hurting the person that hurt us and really the only person we're hurting is us. We're missing out. So not only did God come and offer you forgiveness for yourself and for your soul, but so that you could then go to others and show that forgiveness to them. Because let me explain something to you very simply. Forgiveness is a sign that you've been close to Jesus. It's a fruit that is on display. And it changes people. It shows them there is something different. And Jesus understands here that this is not easy. He understands here that this is going to be difficult. He understands here that what he is asking us to do is not something like, oh, no problem, Jesus, I got that, got it. No problem. It's hard. And so that's what we're praying. We're asking for help. We're acknowledging that need. We're basically expressing that to him. And the final one. Lead us not into temptation, verse number four, which basically means this. Help us make right decisions that honor you. Help us to make right decisions that honor you. And again, Jesus here makes another, quote-unquote, assumption. He realizes that you're going to be tempted. He realizes that there are going to be times in your life where the enemy comes, and he is going to bring things. Listen, this is going to be really, really deep. This is, I'm glad you're seated, okay? Because I don't want anybody fainting, okay? Everybody good. I'm making sure. Good. Everyone's seated. Perfect. Here's the deal. Temptations, I better sit, are tempting. I know. I know. Temptations are tempting. You see, the enemy, listen, there are things that do not phase me, that may phase you tremendously. And there are things that the enemy brings into my life that tempt me, and you look at me and you go, seriously? You got a problem with that? Temptations are tempting, and Jesus understands that we will be tempted. It is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign that you are under attack from God. It is a sign, more than likely, that you're on the right track. And that Jesus understands that you are going to face temptation. And it's going to be tempting. And basically, we want to make the best decisions, the right decisions. Why? To honor Him. But again, He already knows what's coming. He already knows what we are going to face. And He says, pray for that. Pray when this comes, because it will come, that you are ready and able, with God's help, to stand up against that temptation. Because here's the bottom line. <laughs> it will be tempting. 
It will be tempting. Let me put it this way. Say, if you're a vegetarian, Satan's not going to tempt you with a steak. You get what I'm saying? It's going to be tempting. He'll tempt me with a steak. He'll bring it. And when it comes, he wants the decisions that you make to be right and good and honoring to him. You know what's interesting about this prayer? In nowhere do I find this concept of, in a lot of ways, focus on you. Now, you're asking God for things, which is good and right, but the focus here seems to always go back to the Father. Let the choices I make be a part of you. Give me just enough. Why? So I can honor you with my actions. What's your prayer life really like? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes my prayer life is kind of more about Aaron than it is about God. I'll sit there and I'll spend a good amount of time telling God his marching orders. And then if I have time, I'll tell him how great he is for listening to me. We all need to do better in this. We all need to take more time to focus our prayers on who they're really about. Knowing that God knows our needs and asks us to bring them to Him. We understand the idea, as we talked about last week, of the fatherhood of Jesus, or the fatherhood of God, and how He asks us as a good dad to come to Him as good children and say, Jesus, Father, I, I need this. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in need. And to let Him bring those things into your life. If the worship team is gonna would come on up, we're gonna we're gonna close. Look, I know that as we look through some of these things, um, you know, as you, as, as you kind of go through a verse by verse thing, you know, it's it's not always um, crazy exciting and 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 things like that. But but there's some meat here that we need to get. Okay. You know, we, we, we talk about wanting the meat of the word, and sometimes that means taking a verse-by-verse verse look. Not all the time, but sometimes to really see what is Jesus trying to communicate to us. And it's important that we catch this, because I want this understanding to change the way we all pray. Okay, if you want to know kind of what the goal of all this is, it's not so you walk out of here at the end of four weeks and go, I am a super duper prayer, and you get a, a certificate with a star on it. Okay? It's so that your prayer life is different. It's so that when you pray, the prayers of a righteous is powerful and effective. And sometimes, let's just be honest, our prayers aren't. And in our world today, we need some effective, powerful prayers. We just do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. And as we can conclude this part of the service, I'm going to have, Alicia's going to come and she's going to play. We're going to take communion in just a second. But as we conclude, we're just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. As a group, as a family. Now, now, we're not going to repeat after me and all that sort of stuff, but I'm going to read each section, and we're going to take just 10 seconds or so, and we're going to meditate on it. We're going to let God's Spirit speak to us. Because one of the things that I think is very important is when we pray the Word.
when we pray what the Bible says. There is power in this book. And we need to not forget that. So as we pray, as we bring these things to our Father, we're going to take some time. And listen, I, I get it. It's going to be real easy in this moment to just let your mind wander, but don't let it. Let's focus in on what Jesus is communicating to us today. We're going to start with verse number two. And he said to them, Thank you, Father. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Oh, God. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus, teach us to pray. Father, as, as Paul wrote, we should pray without ceasing. That we should, our lives should be surrounded with communication with you. And Father, as we, as we hear the words of your Son, as we learn from Him, Father, we pray that you would change our perspective. Because Jesus, you desire for us to have the type of prayer life that you have with your Father. Jesus, I pray that as your disciples looked at you and noticed a difference, that this morning that we would notice a difference. That we would desire a more close relationship with you. That we would put our needs and our wants and our desires aside, knowing that your will and your plan is infinitely greater than anything we have ever hoped or imagined. The Father, that we will know that you will give us just enough. You will take care of us. That, Father, we know that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness. 
so that once again we can be brought into a right relationship with you. But not just it's only that, that we can experience that with you, even though that's huge and that's important, but then that we can be changed by your presence and go and forgive others so that they can see you. They can see your glory. They can see your goodness. They can see all that you are doing in us. And Father, when the temptation comes, that we'll be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy because we have already been preparing for that attack. We are not caught off guard. We know that the temptations from the enemy will come and when they come, we will be ready for them because we have girded ourselves in prayer. We knew they were coming. And Father, through all of this, through our every prayer and through every action, that you would be glorified. That your name would become famous. That your goodness and your grace and, and your love would be on display in our lives. That people would literally see us and we would melt away and that you would be so visible to them that it would literally change them. That your glory and your fame would be spread into every nook and cranny of this community and of this state and of this country and of this world. And you've chosen to use us to do that. So Jesus, use us. Prepare us to bring glory to your name. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father.